These transmissions indicate some intelligent life. Let us move in for a closer look. Greetings. Good Sunday morning to you. Welcome to the Coffee with Jeff podcast, the show in which I find a subject I would like to know more about and then write it into a story. This is episode 225, and today I talk about a possible alien visitation witnessed by hundreds of Australian students and a few teachers back in the spring of 1966. Not only was there a UFO sighting, but also possibly a large government cover-up, and even one child's disappearance. This is the story, to the best of my understanding, of what happened more than 50 years ago. For 20 minutes or so, something happened that changed the lives of many people forever. Today I bring you the astonishing story of the Westall UFO Encounter. In a remote area of the southern United States, a middle-aged man sits on his front porch, gazing at the cows in the field across the dirt road that lay in front of his crumbling home. He sips a glass of moonshine, relaxing after a long day. Without warning, a strange glowing craft appears in the sky. Disc-shaped, the completely unfamiliar object silently hovers for a while above the cattle before descending to the ground. Rubbing his chin, the old farmer is amazed, shocked, and horrified all at the same time. He wonders if he can believe his own eyes. How much moonshine did he drink, he asks himself. Tall, thin, gray creatures with large black eyes emerge from the craft and begin to walk towards him. Soon, the man is aboard the ship. The next morning, he wakes in his own home with only vague memories of what happened the night before, and he knows no one will ever believe his tale of anal probing. That's a fictional story I just made up, but it represents the usual way people think of alien encounters. It seems it always happens to a lone person in the middle of nowhere. The common theory for these tales are dreams, booze, mental illness, or an attempt for attention and cash. Every now and again, however, an event happens that in no way can be explained that easy. Such an event happened on April 6, 1966. It was something seen by over 100 students and a few teachers in an area in southern Melbourne, Australia. The story goes like this. The day was just another typical school day. It was a beautiful morning. Two groups of students ranging from 11 to 16 years of age were outside Westall High School, one class playing cricket and the other football. Inside the school, other students were learning in classes. It was just a few days before Good Friday, so the upcoming long weekend was on most of the kids' minds. Something caught the attention of one of the children outdoors, and he walked away from the group. He noticed something peculiar in the sky. Calling to the other students, he pointed to something five to six hundred meters away. What they saw was something disc-shaped, silver or silver-green in color, and making a roaring noise. Some of the students began to panic and run towards the building while others stood and stared. 
the physical education teacher urged the students outside return to the school. At the same time, in teacher Andrew Greenwood's science class, a young girl burst into the room. She yelled, There's flying saucers outside! or something to that effect. Greenwood, who didn't believe the girl, was known for his commitment to discipline. He assumed it was a prank by the girl, who he knew to be excitable. With about ten minutes left in the class, he became irritated as the students ran over to the window. And similarly, in another class, teacher Barbara Robbins was teaching a chemistry class. A student named Graham Simons was looking out the window while conducting an experiment. He also noticed the object in the sky and yelled, There's a flying saucer in the sky! The rest of the class began to laugh. Soon the teachers and the students from both classes joined the physical education classes who were now gathered down near the end of the playing field. They all looked in silence at the floating object. One student would later say, Suddenly the school came alive with excitement and everybody began running towards where the girls were. I had seen something very unusual in the sky. The craft was a gray metallic color, or some say silver green, with a slight purple hue. Some described it half the size of a family car, or some twice the size of a family car. The thing in the sky descended to about 9 or 10 meters off the ground, and then rose back up, flew over some power lines, and then floated or traveled behind some pine trees to an area known as the Grange. As this happened, chemistry teacher Barbara Robbins, who had grabbed a camera on her way out, began taking pictures. Some of the students later described the children as a herd of zebras escaping a lion or a surging mob as more students from the school joined the onlookers. On a nearby farm, two men heard the commotion at the school and quickly noticed what the teacher and students were looking at. We stood and looked for several minutes, one of the men later said. A few moments later, the children came over from the high school and they noticed us. The kids ran over towards the men. Both the area of the farm and the grange were private land, yet some of the kids, including Graham Simons and a girl named Tanya, jumped the fence of the school and ran for the grange. The students finally arrived at the landing site. The young Tanya fainted, possibly along with another girl. Later, after being revived, she would start suffering screaming fits and was taken away in an ambulance, and Tanya was never seen again. One young girl who was there, named Terry Peck, later said, Two girls were there before me. One was terribly upset, and they were pale, really white, ghostly white. And then they just passed out, fainted. One was taken to hospital in an ambulance. While most claimed to have seen one saucer, one student named Victor Sekruzny would later claim to have seen two. According to Victor, he and about a dozen students slowly approached the crafts. He got close enough to touch it, but then declined as he noticed the tremendous heat coming off of it. Some others would later say that there were three crafts in total. At the scene, according to some witnesses, there was a small circle of flattened grass that looks as if a spinning ship had landed. After seeing the apparent landing site, they looked up to see the ship through the trees. Student Terry Peck would later say, After a few minutes it just raised up above me, probably to 12 feet, turned side on and zoomed straight up into the air and disappeared almost instantly.
Just then, the owner of the land, a young man named Sean Matthews, walked up, angry that the kids were on his property. He let it be known that the children were trespassing. The kids tried to explain, but he became even more angry, ignoring their words and the patch of flattened grass on the ground, and he ordered them away. Later, Matthews would claim to have seen the flying saucers, but at the time, it didn't appear so. At the same time, science teacher Andrew Greenwood, back at the school, was seeing something a bit different. At first, he saw nothing at all, but then one of the children pointed it out to him. What he said he saw was an object the shape of a finger with a bump on top. Moments later, there was a group of small planes traveling overhead, seemingly chasing the object. He said the crafts were playing a game of cat and mouse with the object. He described the object being chased by the craft as like a thin beam of light about half the length of a light aircraft. It was silver gray and seemed to thicken at times. The thickening was similar to when a disc is turned to show its underside. A student named Jeff Howlman was with Greenwood and said, As the aircraft approached, the thing tilted on about a 45-degree angle and started to move into the distance, gradually gaining height. The planes increased their speed and began to follow it, but the objects streaked away, leaving the planes far, far behind. The planes turned back, and we all stood hoping it would return, but it didn't. So we all went into school about 15 minutes late. The children, nor the teachers, had any idea of what they had seen that day. Back inside the school, Headmaster Frank Sambelby wasn't happy with the students and quickly called an assembly for all the children. He let it be known that he was disgusted with their behavior and their willingness to believe in something like flying saucers. He made a point to chastise Graham Simons, who was the school prefect. A prefect is a pupil who has been given a certain responsibility at the school, similar to the responsibilities given to a hall monitor or a safety patrol member. He thought Simons should have been more of a role model and not follow the other students and teacher off the cliff of gullibility. Sabelby told the children that they had seen nothing of consequence and they were not to talk about it to anybody or even between themselves. Of course, the strange sighting was the main topic of conversation as soon as the kids left the auditorium. Later that same afternoon, reporters from the Deng Dengnang Journal, a local newspaper, and Channel 9 News arrived at the school. A student named Marilyn Eastwood was given a detention by Sambelby for appearing on television and then a second detention for her picture appearing in the Dendendog Journal. The following day, men in uniform, most likely military, showed up at the school. One man approached chemistry teacher Barbara Robbins along with headmaster Frank Sambelby and demanded not only that she give the film in her camera to them, but also the camera as well. Some of the children were questioned by these mystery men, and they were often ridiculed for believing in flying saucers and little green men. Some of the children left the meeting angry, with tears in their eyes. Reporters for the papers, the Dang Dang Dong Journal and the Australian newspaper The Age, attempted to investigate the incident. When investigators tried to interview students, they would often hear the same answer again and again. The headmaster said, we are not to say anything. Since then, researchers have not been able to find any record of the events in the Australian National Archives. Any documentation that might have once existed now seems to be missing, 
and the identity of the pilots of the five planes that followed the craft has never been discovered. The local airport denies any planes were in the area at the time. The Australian newspaper did print one small article that read, Objects, perhaps balloons. An unidentified flying object seen over the Clayton Moorabbin area yesterday morning might have been a weather balloon. Hundreds of children and a member of the teachers at Westall School Clayton watched the object during the morning break. They said a number of small aeroplanes circled it. However, a check later showed that no commercial private or RAAFF pilots had reported anything unusual in the area. The Weather Bureau released a balloon at Leverton at 8.30 a.m., and the westerly winds at the time could have moved it into the area where the sightings were reported. The Dang Dang Nog Journal from April 12, 1966, six days later, reported of the incident, Flying saucer mystery deepens. Who were five pilots? Clayton. The unidentified flying object reported over Clayton area on April 6 was almost certainly observed by pilots of several light aircrafts which flew close to and chased the object for a considerable time. A detailed description of the object given by a science teacher at Westall High School has discounted the theory that the object was a weather balloon, an aircraft, or a flock of birds. Descriptions obtained from eyewitness students at the school and reports of sightings from other nearby locations have confirmed that an object or objects of inexplicable origins have appeared in the sky over this district in the past few weeks. And then it goes on to say, The journal reported the sightings last week, but attempts to obtain detailed information were hampered by school authorities. Students and staff are understood to have been instructed to talk to no one about the incident. Since then, some strange things have happened. GTV Channel 9 interviewed one student, Joe Tai, who gave a description of the events that happened that day. But later, when investigators contacted the station, it seems the tape of the interview had gone missing. The Australia Department of Defense, who keeps records of such things as UFO sightings, similar to the United States Project Blue Book, has no record whatsoever of the Westall UFO incident. Researcher Keith Basterfield, who did an in-depth investigation of the sightings, said, A net result is, we found nothing in the mammoth volume of government documentation that would ever hint that there was something about Westall in the government files. So what happened on that day, and is there a cover-up? First of all, I should point out that a lot of information of the events came out years later, some 40 or 50 years later. Not much of this was said at the time. And you know, memory isn't that reliable, especially after almost a half a century. Things like the story of Tanya fainting then disappearing didn't surface until years later. Sean Matthews, the owner of the Grange, mentioned nothing at the time of seeing the UFO, but later said that he did see it. Some say there was one craft, some two, and even a few that say there were three. There were different descriptions of what the ships looked like, and at the Grange, some say they only saw flattened grass. Some say they saw fire, while others say there was a ship or multiple ships, and they came close to touching them. One would almost think that, over time, these events became more and more fantastic. But the thing is, these people aren't lying. They believed in what they are saying with all their hearts. 
But memories aren't digital recordings. Memories change as time goes on. It's scary, but it's true. Listen, I once shared an apartment with a friend before I was married. This was like more than 35 years ago. Me and this man are still friends, and we often talk about the old days. Every once in a while, we talk about something both of us remember, but we remember it differently. We've had fun arguments over what happened, but both with different memories of the event. And neither of us are lying. We both truly believe in what we are saying, yet there's no way both of us could be right. And you know, in situations like this, when investigators find records missing, it leads to the conclusion that there must be a government cover-up. But is that really true? I mean, to really decide if a missing document is a clue to a cover-up, you must have something to compare it to. How many files disappear in the vast vaults of government paperwork from ordinary events? In other words, are there stats to determine how many records on the average go missing? How do we know that this one file missing is unique? As far as the missing tape of the interview with the child for Channel 9 News, TV stations often reuse tapes and erase tapes. For instance, look what happened to many of those early Doctor Who episodes. They're gone forever. But still, we must ask, what did these people see on April 6, 1966? Now, first of all, I must come clean with you and tell you that I don't believe in alien visitations. There are many reasons why, but two of the biggest are, well, the closest solar system to ours is four and a half light years away. So even if some alien race developed light speed travel, which we all know is impossible, it would still take four and a half years to get here. Nine years for a round trip. That's a long time just to buzz around the Earth and probe people. The second is that in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, there were many blurry photos of alien ships being taken and at the time, very few people carried cameras with them regularly. Nowadays, everyone has a cell phone with a great camera built in. So not only should we be seeing a thousand times more pictures, but ones that are in sharp focus. Yet I have yet to see any clear picture of an alien spaceship. Of course, I could be wrong. But I'm going to assume that this wasn't a case of a spaceship from a distant planet. But then, what was it? How about a balloon? As previously stated, there was a balloon that was launched west-northwest of Westall just two and a half hours before the Westall events. There was a joint U.S.-Australian program between the years of 1960 and 1969 called Highball, H-I-B-A-L. It was an initiative to monitor atmospheric radiation levels using a large silver balloon equipped with sensors. In an article in the Herald Sun, Australia's most read newspaper, on August 6, 2014, it read, Documents held by the National Archives and former Department of Supply indicate one test balloon launched from Maldura may have blown off course and come down in Clayton South, in a paddock near Westall High School, alarming and baffling hundreds of eyewitnesses, including teachers and students. 
After hovering in the area, it landed in an area known as the Grange, behind a group of pine trees, before taking off again and being pursued by several light aircrafts in a sighting which lasted 20 minutes from 11 a.m. on April 6, 1966. Researcher Keith Basterfield, who spent years investigating unexplained phenomenon in Australia, said a runaway balloon from Highball, High Altitude Balloon, project was the likely answer. A contemporary witness reported these suits stated what the students saw was part of a secret government exercise that for national security reasons, they were forbidden from discussing it. So is that what really happened, or is that part of the government cover-up? Now also we have the thing about the fingered shape objects in the planes playing cat and mouse that Teacher Greenwood saw. Well, there was a common military training exercise at the time, which one plane would drag behind a target drone, which was basically a giant windsock, and a group of trainees in other planes would be expected to follow the object, always keeping it in sight. Again, this might have been a secret government training exercise that they weren't anxious to talk about. Though it would have been quite a coincidence if these two separate events happened in the sky in the same area at the same time. But often, that's the way these things get started. Two events that happen at the same time that get confused. Of course, when one really looks at the details and what the witnesses were saying, there are problems with both these explanations. These don't explain everything, but how much is that because the memories of these witnesses are more than four decades old? I'm sure that those who remember the day, those that were there, would argue this conclusion. I mean, if you believe for 50 years that you saw something unexplainable, something that was possibly from another world, and we're told it was only a balloon, you might have trouble believing it too. But you know, maybe if I was there back in 1966 and saw what those people saw, maybe I would think differently. But here's the thing, I wasn't there. And most likely, you weren't there. And we don't know what they exactly saw. Maybe aliens are here and I'm wrong. I read a comment on Reddit where somebody said, alien visitations are real and you'd be an idiot to think otherwise. I don't know, maybe I'm an idiot. A little bit before I go, I'm sort of interested in the story of Tanya, the girl who had fainted, was taken away in an ambulance and was never seen again. Jackie Argent, one of the students that was there that day, said she saw Tanya taken away in an ambulance and it was the last time she ever saw her. She said the following day she went to Tanya's home and an English-speaking person opened the door and said that there had never been a Tanya living at the house. She said Tanya's parents didn't speak English and she had been to the house many times. That's very strange, I'll admit, but then again, she said this more than 40 or 50 years later. And even if I believe this men in black type thing, to within 24 hours get rid of a whole family and replace it with another, it seems a little incredible to me. Another statement by student Lance Brown said, In the two-month period I'd been at school, Tanya had been quite notorious to say the least. But when she vanished, I didn't relate it to the UFO. More her wild ways. 
There are some reports, though I couldn't find the actual source, that a reporter did later find Tanya, and she said she had no recollection of the day and wished to be left out of it. And like I said, I have yet to find a reliable source for that information. So, all in all, I don't know what to think. The odd part is, no one has ever offered up her last name. I mean, surely the school knows the full name of one of their students. Maybe it's just people helping her stay anonymous. I'm not sure. Anyway, how about the ending credits? You've been listening to Coffee with Jeff, a Zeus Brothers Entertainment podcast. I thank you for listening. If you want to help me out to help finance the show, I have a Patreon account, like all podcasts do, and you can find a link to it at the Coffee with Jeff website. That's coffeewithjeff, all one word, dot com. There's a link to it at the top. You can email me at coffeewithjeff at gmail.com for any reason. You can follow me on Twitter. My name on Twitter is coffeewithjeff, all one word, and I have a Coffee with Jeff Facebook page that you're invited to join. It's a great way to hear about new episodes, and it's a great way to let me know of your story ideas. I can always use story ideas. The links to the sources that I used to write today's episode are available at Transistor.fm's Coffee with Jeff page for this episode. Again, you can find a link to it at my website. I want to thank my wife of 37 years for being my wife of 37 years. David Metzger for designing the Coffee with Jeff logo. Kelly Rickard for writing and performing the Coffee with Jeff theme. And of course, to all of you who listen to the show every episode, thank you so much. And a special shout out to all those that repost this on social media. You have a special place in my heart. Take care, remain healthy, and I'll be back in two weeks with something thrilling. Bye-bye. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee. Coffee with Jeff. I once knew a man who used to drink his coffee black. He once tried it with some cream. Didn't like it, now he never looks back Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Coffee with Jeff Coffee, coffee with Jeff Met a girl from Beantown Jeff was always hanging around She drank tea, but that was okay she was the dawn of Jeff's new day. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Years go by and life's filled with change. Sometimes your plans get rearranged. He's seen it all and he's weathered it too. So Jeff wants to have some coffee with you. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, more coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff. Coffee, coffee with Jeff. Coffee with Jeff.
Thank you.